One of the things that, uh, that I've noticed, maybe you have too, it seems as though Christians don't seem to have the power and the ability that it seems that Jesus promised them. It doesn't seem like they have the victory that Jesus promised them. It doesn't seem like they have the, just the presence of God that Jesus promised them. And unfortunately, I think that uh, we kind of are left wanting and we're wondering, well, what happened? Why is it that I feel so powerless in the area of temptation and other areas of my life? Why isn't it because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? Why, why isn't it made more of a difference in my life? Why am I, do I feel like I'm not having the victory that I feel like I should be having? And I think the passage that we're going to look at this weekend will help us to kind of think that through. Uh, Jesus had uh, a supernatural power. When he walked this earth, he had a supernatural power that, that, that filled him, that carried him, that, that uh, just, just allowed him to do all the ama- amazing things that he did. Um, if you, uh, and, and really, well, what I'm talking about is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had the power of the Holy Spirit on his behalf. And so we're going to develop that a little bit tonight. And if you're in a life group, and if you're in a servant-based life group, uh, in the middle of this, and you don't have to be in a life group, we hope that you are, but if you're not, this is something that you could take on your own and read through. It's the idea of this, the whole indwelling of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that Jesus says to his disciples, he, says, uh, he said to his disciples as he was getting ready to leave, he says, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to give you another comforter. And that Greek word for another is another of the same kind. In other words, somebody just like me. And He won't be with you. He will dwell within you. The Bible tells us that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's where the problem comes in. Today, we get so caught up in the gifts of the Spirit. So, do you speak in tongues? Do you, you, know, you, do, do you perform these miraculous signs? We get caught, all caught up in that. Instead of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, all those different things. And I think that what we want to do is want to look at how Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, engaged in his life and how he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we're in Mark chapter 1. We're going through the book of Mark. So if you want to turn to Mark 1, verse 9, uh, let me read. There's only a few verses, that we're, a number of verses that we're going to look at. Not a lot, but there's a, a number of really powerful things there, and we'll develop some themes uh, this weekend. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Look at what it says. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, a, a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With, with you I am well pleased. And once the, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. So there's three verbs that I'm really drawing my main points from. That Jesus was baptized, Jesus was, was led by the Spirit, and Jesus was tempted by the uh, enemy. And those are the three points in your outline. So the first one is Jesus was baptized by John. And I want to talk just for a minute about, and this kind of came up in our life group last weekend, and I thought it would be good to spend just a minute or two on this. Um, 
Is the baptism of John different than Christian baptism today? And the answer is absolutely yes, it is. And so the question is, how is the baptism of John different than Christian baptism today? Well, John's baptism was a public repentance in order to be forgiven. In other words, John was saying, you need to repent and then I will baptize you. So the act of baptism was the, you know, the, the final uh, you know, crescendo of their repentance. It was the sign of their repentance. Uh, now, in that day, it was common for Gentiles to be baptized. In fact, in the Old Testament, baptism was kind of an initiation right into the Jewish community. So it's very, it's very common for Gentiles to be baptized. Or, and they would generally baptize themselves, wash themselves, and that was an initiation right into the Jewish community. Um, but the Jews weren't baptized. The Jews didn't need to be baptized. So this is a very different baptism. John's baptism is very different because he's telling Jews, you need to repent and be baptized. Well, Jews weren't baptized. Jews, were, Jews saw themselves, the Hebrew people saw themselves, oh, I'm Abraham's son and daughter. I, I am part of Abraham's family. I'm part of the chosen family, the chosen uh, people. Uh, we don't need to be baptized. And so they were offended. You know, the religious leaders were offended that John is telling the Jewish people, you need to, be re- you need to repent and be baptized. They said, well, why do we need to be? Re- we're Abraham's sons and daughters. We don't need to be. Uh, so uh, let me give you an example. So John essentially is saying to the Jews, uh, you may have been circumcised on the outside, but your hearts are far from God. You may have gone through all the, the, the rules and regulations, but your hearts are far from God. And you know, we see that today, don't we? We see people who attend church and go to church. I read an article today in the TH about a person that kind of was very, you know, they were religious, but they really, it seems like they didn't, their heart wasn't in it. They didn't get the heart relationship. They didn't get that. And they saw uh, Christianity as a set of following certain rules. And the Jews in that day kind of saw that as follow the rules and, and you know, keep the rules and, and do that. Uh, but the baptism of repentance is an act of turning to God to be forgiven for their sins. So, the religious leaders were offended by that. And it's kind of like this. So, if you're a really religious person, you don't really like it when people tell you that you're not that religious or you're not that good. I remember when I was a kid... <clears throat> And my brother became a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, we were religious. We went to church every week. And um, went to church, went to confession. We did all that. And uh, my brother uh, went to a Bible study. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ, which is different than what I had heard or learned before. And he, he promptly sat down shortly after that at our family meal and looked at our family and said, You're all going to hell. Well, I don't think it went over real well. Dick and Joni weren't, weren't too happy about it, and neither were we. And of course, our reaction was, how dare you? You think you're righteous? You think you're better than us? Right? And so, essentially, what he was saying was, and no, I don't think it was the right thing to say, but essentially what he was, you know, we're, so we got all bent out of shape because he was saying, you know, you think you're doing all the right things. But if you don't know Jesus, if your heart isn't open to Jesus, 
Things aren't right. Now, that would have been a better way to state it, and probably privately and individually, uh, but he tended to like to make dramatic statements, which he did. That's how the Jewish people, the religious leaders, felt towards John's baptism. How dare you tell us that we need to repent? I'm a guest. I'm offended. How dare you? Christian baptism, on the other hand, is a public declaration that we are following Jesus. And because we have already been forgiven, we want to go public with our faith. We want people to know that we already have been forgiven. We have, we've already come to Christ. And we are giving uh, a public testimony of our private, uh, of our private faith. Um, so it's a public way to uh, show our allegiance to Christ. Um, now, the question is, why was Jesus baptized? Because John is, you know, when Jesus comes to John, he's immediately, John says, you know, I, I need to be baptized by you. You know, I mean, compared to, you know, you, I need to repent. And Jesus says, no, let it be done so. And I think he does it for a couple of reasons. Number one, to affirm the message of John. He does that. Number two, he does it because he wants to identify with us. He wants us to understand that uh, there is a need for us to repent. Now, we know that during the baptism, and we, we and I love how the the, the, uh, the NIV does it. It says, heaven was ripped open, and that literally is what the word means. I think I pointed out to you a couple weeks ago that that Greek word for that, that, that heaven was ripped open and a voice came saying, you are my son in, I'm whole, well, in, in whom I'm well pleased. That ripped open is the same verse that's used when Jesus says it is finished and the cur- curtain uh, the curtain of the temple is torn from heaven to earth. It's ripped open, right? The, the holy of holy places ripped open. Now uh, we can enter boldly into the throne uh, for the throne of, of grace. So the only other time that uh, the other time that we hear this uh, affirmation of the Son is on the Mount of Transfiguration, where where the Father speaks uh, affirming words of Jesus. But here's the point for us. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be baptized. You should give a public testimony of your faith. If you've never done that, you say, well, I was baptized as a baby. So what did you say when you were baptized as a baby? Well, not much because I couldn't talk. Okay. So it may be that you would want to consider going to a baptism class that we're going to be offering here in a little bit and uh, maybe joining us at Flora Park for our baptism in July. If you're not sure... Uh, at least come to the class and find out more information. So all you need to do is, is mark on the connection card, hey, uh, you know, keep me in mind when the baptism uh, class comes. Let me know when that's coming, and we will let you know, and you can pursue that. I want to encourage you to do that. Now, why do we, do, why do we make a point of that? Because Jesus says in, in the great mission, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing. So Jesus, you need, you, this, this is something the church needs to do. We, we need to do this. So that's why we do it. The point I want you to see is that when we affirm our love for Jesus, he affirms our love for us. So what is baptism? Baptism is where a person who has been forgiven goes public with their faith and says, Jesus gave his life to me. I am giving and I've given my life to him. And I'm, I'm going public that, that, that I'm part of his crew. I belong to him. I want to follow him. I want to walk with him. And uh, that's a public testimony of your faith. Now, 
Why is that important? Because Matthew, and you can write this, it's in your notes basically, whoever acknowledges me before others, that's what baptism is, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So I tell people when you're being baptized at that moment, remember what the Father is doing there when, he, when Jesus is being baptized? He says, this is my Son. I'm affirming my Son. So what do you think is happening in heaven when you're getting baptized? Same thing. Same thing. Whoever acknowledges me before men. What's, what are we doing at baptism? We're acknowledging Jesus before men, women, people around there. And what is happening in heaven? I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. You want to be part of that? Sign up for your baptism class. Be part of that because I think that takes place in heaven. All right, so that's the first thing. Jesus was, tempted, or was uh, baptized by John. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus relied uh, on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit incredibly. Uh, it, it's a tremendous amount. Um, so the question I want to answer, and somebody else asked this question, I thought it was really interesting. Did Jesus cheat? Now, what do I mean by that? Did Jesus cheat? Well, what I mean by that is Jesus was a human and divine. He was man and God. He, and we call that, the, the, it's the, uh, the, the hypostatic union is the theological word we use. But we say that he's fully man and fully God. And those uh, two, uh, two uh, dimensions of his personality are, are separated. Uh, the question we ask is, though, did Jesus cheat? And what we mean by that is, uh, because sometimes we think, well, he was God. So... You know, everything was easier for him. He was human, yes, but he was God. But here's what you have to understand. Jesus came as a man. Yes, he was God. But he did not cheat. Now, what I mean by that is this. Do you know those math exercises that your teacher would give you? And you'd go home and you really didn't understand the lesson. Well, some of you math you know, geeks are going, no, never had that. Well, you know what? I didn't like you anyways. Um, but for the rest of us, we went home and we didn't really understand it. And we had homework and we had 10 questions. We got the first one done and it only took us about 15 minutes. And we know we can add that together because we can do that amount of math. And we realize we're going to be here for a while. So we know that in the back of the book are the answers. So we flip to the answers. We say, there's the answer. I can just write the answer down, right? That's when the teacher started saying, show your work. Well, that got a little more tricky. But the point is, some of us think that what Jesus did is he cheated. He was, he was not learning math. He knew in his divine nature. He knew the answer. He could teach the class. So he kind of dipped his toe there when he needed to. No, he didn't. That's the point. And it's very clear because... Um, as we, as, we, as we look at the Scriptures, um, he had to learn to walk. He had to learn to read and write and do math. Uh, in Luke 2, it says, when he, he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with men and God. He had to learn to memorize Scripture just like you and me. But he did it well. He did it well. When he was tempted, he had to learn obedience. The Bible says he was tempted in every way as we are. He got hungry and tired just like, uh, like us. He probably left, uh, got home after a hard day working with his father and was just exhausted just like you are. 
Jesus uh, relied on the empowering work of the Holy Spirit every step of the way. Now, I'm going to just show you where the Holy Spirit is empowering Jesus every step of the way through His life. Let me just show you. We hit on one already, but let's look at a few more. Look at His birth. Even His conception was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. You don't have to turn there, but you can write that verse down. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is the angel talking to Mary saying, the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And so we have the conception of Jesus with Mary. We have the baptism and temptation of Jesus. That He was anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit at His baptism. Verse 4 of Luke 1 says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days He was tempted by the devil. So He is being led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. His conception was by the Holy Spirit. His leading into the wilderness was by the Holy Spirit. His teaching was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus remained in Galilee. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. In the power of the Spirit. In the power of the Spirit. You see a theme here. And news about Him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised Him. Understand this. His preaching was in the power of the Holy Spirit. His healings and miracles... Did he cast out demons? How did he do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did he give sight to the blind, restore hearing to the deaf, heal the lame to walk again? By the power of the Holy Spirit. This was all through the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't dip into his divinity. He allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to give him the ability and the power to do this. Here's one that's really interesting. And this one, this was new to me. Sometimes you get beat down by life. Your spirit is, is, is you're heavy. Your heart is heavy. You struggle. You, you don't think that happened with Jesus? It absolutely did. But look at what this, this is. Write this verse down. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Let me read it to you. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because You have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what You were pleased to do. The point I want you to see there is that Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. In other words, what that says is, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus received joy. You say, I don't have a joyful life. And I say, okay, well, here's the source of joy. It's the Holy Spirit in your life. At, in power in your life. He was, he, so, so we see His joy. So here's what I'm saying. Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit. He was filled by the Spirit. Helping Him. He, he, he helped in His suffering by this power of the Spirit. He he. Preserved, he was preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit. He loved by the power of the Holy Spirit. He engaged in spiritual conflict by the power of the Holy Spirit. He trained his disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
He was the most spirit-filled, spirit-controlled person ever to walk this earth. Now you say, well, that was Jesus. That was a different time. That was Jesus. I get the fact that he didn't, he didn't cheat. He didn't dip into his divinity. He was truly human. He lived and he, he relied upon the resources, the same resources we have. But you know what? He's still Jesus. Write this verse down. Maybe this is the only thing that you'll hear this weekend. Maybe this is the one that will make a difference in your life. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. I'll read it to you. Paul says this, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Holy Spirit who lives in you. What is Paul saying here? Paul's saying the resurrection of Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit. But he's saying more than that. He's saying that same power that, imp- that raised Jesus from the dead is empower. The potential power is within you. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection of the Holy Spirit is the same power that you have at your disposal. This is striking. What Paul says is you are not limited. You have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. You have the same power that Jesus had. You have the same, you have the same Spirit of God that Jesus had. You have this Spirit. The point I want you to see is this. That walking in step with the Spirit is an essential for Christ followers. So that's what we're going to talk about in the life groups. What does it mean to walk or, you know, we use the phrase walk within the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. What does it mean to do that? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about it. We're going to kind of start a conversation and kind of go into some passages this weekend on that. And it's really important that we understand it because if we have this power, then it seems as though what's going on is we're not availing ourselves to the power that God has given to us. Jesus says, I'm going to leave you another helper who will not be with you. He will be within you and he will guide you and he will direct you. He's the same one who's been directing and guiding me and I'm going to give him to you. You see the, you see the point. You see the power that what God wants to give to you this weekend. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given you His Holy Spirit. But it may be that He's been locked away in a closet somewhere, in a room somewhere, and it's because of we grieved Him, we've quenched Him, we haven't asked Him to guide us and direct us. There could be a multiple things. But we need to talk about that. Because the, I believe that many of us would say some of the things that Jesus did some of the ways that we Jesus was led by the Spirit, we just we've never uh, we've never experienced that. We've never seen that. We've never understood that. And partly it's because we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to guide us. There's an incredible power that we're sitting on that we haven't availed ourselves to. 
And Jesus didn't cheat. He didn't go into his divinity. He relied upon the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit empowered him. And he was able to do the things he was able to do because of his connection to the third person of the Trinity. And Paul says, you have that same connection. Maybe you just don't know it. Well, you do now. So let's talk about Where do we go, right? All right, so Jesus was baptized by John. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then number three, Jesus was tested or tempted by Satan. Now, the interesting thing is Jesus was tempted uh, in a a way, you know, because I think it's easy for us to say, we either dismiss the temptations of Jesus and say, well, he was God, you know, he dipped into his divinity, which I said, no, he didn't. Or we say, well, you know, he's Jesus, you know, he's just, you know, he's just really good at not sinning or whatever. And uh, he, maybe he didn't get tempted like I get tempted. Well, the writer of Hebrews would beg to differ. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 14, 4 verse 15, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. In other words, the writer of Hebrews says he was tempted in every way that you've been tempted. Every way. Tempted to lie? Yep. Tempted to cheat? Yep. Tempted to take a shortcut? Yep. He's been tempted in every way. And yet without sin. By the way, maybe you noticed as we read through this passage, and I mentioned it a couple of times, it was the Holy Spirit who led him into the wilderness. You know, one of the things, we visited somebody who was in the hospital just before we got here, and one of the things I said was, you know, it's one of those times, and they're going through a you know, major surgery, and I said, you know, it's one of those things that sometimes God takes you down a road that you don't want to go down. But he's got a reason for you going down that road. And it's those times where you say, God, what is it that you want to teach me? What is it that you want me to learn? What is it? Because here's what I find when when God starts going down a road, I don't want to go down. I want to grab the wheel and say, you know, no, we're not going down there. And God says, well, yeah, we are. We are going down that road. And the interesting thing is, Jesus is going to be taken into the wilderness and he's going to fast 40 days and 40 nights. He's going to have nothing. And then the test is going to come. He's going to be tempted. The interesting thing is, and Mark is the only gospel that says this, it says something really strange there. It says, the angels ministered to him. That was the last thing that the passage is. But it says, the wild, he was with the wild beasts. Mark and Luke and John, or Matthew, Luke and John don't mention that at all. But Mark does. Mark mentions that he was with the wild beasts. And you go, what is that all about? And some commentators say, oh, that's just to show that he's in the wilderness and it's dangerous. And, you know, it was, you know, was, you know, if you've ever been, you know, out in the woods at night and you hear a bear, you know, out there, you go, I hope that's really far away and not real close. And, it's scary and all that. Yeah, maybe. 
I think there's something bigger going on. I think Mark has a bigger theme going on. <clears throat> I think about <clears throat> the first temptation. Where did that take place? In a garden, not in the wilderness, in a garden. So it's very different, right? Uh, the first temptation, there were no wild animals. Adam named all the animals. Adam and Eve named all the animals, right? They were tame. They were fine. That was before the curse. And they were tempted, right? So they went through a temptation, but they weren't in a wilderness. They hadn't fasted 40 days and 40 nights. They hadn't been uh, hungry. They had everything that they needed. They were in a perfect environment. And they were with animals that were tame. And Jesus is hungry... He's in a dangerous place with wild animals. And what is the point? He doesn't fail. He doesn't give in to temptation. His temptation was far worse than the temptation of Adam and Eve. I think that's the point of Mark. His temptation was far worse than Mark's temptation. And he passed the test. Now, I want to just talk just a little bit about temptation, and we'll close. Just a couple of points about temptation, because I think it's important for us to say, okay, so what, what difference does it make to us today? And I think there's two lessons about temptation. I think they're in your notes. The first one is this. Trials and temptation doesn't mean, having trials and temptation in your, in your life doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It's very clear that Jesus being led by the Spirit of God, God the, the Holy Spirit, is leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted to go through a trial, to go through a, t a difficult time. And so it's, it, it, sometimes we think that when we're tempted or we go through trials, we say, God, what have you done? You've left me. No, it may not be that at all. It may be that God has allowed you to come to this place, to go down this dark road, because He has a lesson. He has a purpose behind it. He hasn't left you. He is with you. And God will sometimes allow you to go through trials and temptations. But just because you're going through a difficult time, don't assume that God has left you. Remember, it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into this, down this path for this purpose. So that's the first lesson. Second lesson is this one. It's not a sin to be tempted and we can avoid and overcome temptation. So the first thing is sometimes people get, Christians especially, get freaked out and they get concerned because they say, well, I keep getting tempted. I keep getting tempted and I, get, I feel guilty about the temptations. The temptation is not uh, a sin. Uh, Jesus was tempted. So the temptation itself is not a sin. The question is, what do you do with the temptation? How do you respond to the temptation? That's the question. And we need to find ways to avoid and overcome temptation. And I have three minor points under this. And I thought, I didn't want to just leave it there. I wanted to give you a couple of, uh, of important steps. Because, can I say this in a really nice way? We're idiots when it comes to temptation. We really are. Have you ever found yourself falling for the same thing over and over and over and feeling guilty and feeling like, oh, I'll never get past this. I don't know what I'm ever going to do. Uh, here's uh, three things that you should keep in mind when you're being tempted. Number one, never say never 
And what I mean by that is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says this, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. We are all vulnerable to temptation. Understand this, everyone's temptation may be different. You may not be tempted by what somebody else may be tempted by. You may be, go, I don't even get why you're tempted by that. To me, that's the last. But you're tempted by something very different. The point I want you to see is don't have the attitude that that will never happen to me. Too many times we, we fall prey to temptation because we think that we're, we're invulnerable, that this will never happen to me, that I'm too strong, and we, 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 we let our guard down. A better attitude is, is to this. When you see somebody who has fallen into deep temptation, you think, except for the grace of God, there goes me. Except for the grace of God, there goes me. So don't ever think that you're, you're, you're above temptation or that you'll never do that. Number two, set up some boundaries. Set up some boundaries. Uh, James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. James 4, 7 and 8. Let me read it to you. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we need to resist the devil and we need to prepare for the attacks that are coming. Don't fall for the same temptation over and over. Make sure you have people you have people who can help you and set up boundaries in your life. For example, what I have found, and as I've counseled with different people and they've gone through times of temptation and failure, nine times out of... I don't know what, how many times. Let's call it nine times out of ten. It sounds like that's really you know, weighty and stuff. But essentially, what I hear people say very often is this. I was in a different place, a different city. I was uh, out of my regular routine, or I have dead time, which I don't have anything planned for. And you basically uh, have opened yourself up for uh, trial. So, in, in other words, set, make a plan so that if you, you are going to be traveling, you have a schedule that carries you. If you have a computer, uh, make sure that you're not there late at night uh, on it because you know what happens. In other words, set up some boundaries. Don't keep saying, oh, it won't happen again, and then it happens. Oh, it won't happen. You need to just keep replaying that same thing over and over. In other words, set up a plan. Here's the last one. Stay close to the Word of God. Stay close to the Word of God. Uh, write this uh, down, Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Here's what it says. How can a young man or young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart and do not... uh, I, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's that talking about? Scripture memorization. 
Did Jesus do Scripture memorization? Yeah. He's quoting Scripture left and right all the time. And I know that was more of an oratory society where they learned and they repeated things over and over. They didn't write things down as much as we do. But still, the point is, Thy word have I hid in your, my heart that I might not sin against God. That's how I first learned it through the King James English. And the point is this. Show me someone who is not taking the word of God in their hearts on a regular basis. And I will show you somebody who is absolutely open to temptation. On the other hand, uh, show me a person who is taking the word of God into their hearts, who is asking the spirit of God to empower them and speak to their hearts and to warn them through the word of God. Because I think what we do is when we take scripture into our heart, what it does is it, it, the spirit of God takes the word of God and reminds us of that time during the temptation or, you know, when we're going through that time. And, and I think that's important. The Word of God is like a fortress for our hearts and our souls. It reminds us of who we are and what He's done for us. And we need this constant reminder uh, of, in our hearts of who we are and what He's done. Uh, otherwise, our hearts will be, become hard and we will flounder and give in to temptation. Take in the Word of God on a regular basis. You show me somebody who's doing that, and I'll show you somebody who's much more prepared than somebody who is just basically saying, well, I hope today goes well. <laughs> so, let's review. Jesus was baptized by John. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was tempted by Satan. Three things that happened to Jesus. But there's three different applications for us. Where are you at with baptism? Have you gone public with your faith? Do you understand the power of the Holy Spirit that's available to you as a follower of Jesus Christ? That Jesus says, I'm going to give you another helper, one just like me, who will be with you, within you. And then finally, understand that temptation is not sin, but we have to be very serious about it if we're going to uh, win the temptation war. So those are a few thoughts. Hopefully you'll take something. The Spirit of God will take something and bring it to your heart. Hopefully the Spirit of God already has brought something to your heart. Something that needs to change. Something that needs to be looked at. Contemplated. Maybe repented of. I don't know. But if you have God's Spirit within you, you're a different person. And I think that's partly what's missing in our hearts and in the church today. If we hear about the Holy Spirit, we think of wild manifestations. We don't think of how the Spirit of God can empower us, give us the fruit of the Spirit, and make us into different people. You'll know the Holy Spirit is working in your heart when you see the fruit of the Spirit. You'll know the Holy Spirit is working in your heart when you are a different person and you respond differently different than your normal personality would because the Spirit of God is directing you. And you are, uh, you are quiet. You are listening. You are calm. You are showing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. You're showing that in the, in, the, in the midst of hostility and anger and stuff. 
And when people start coming to you and say, there is something about you that I don't know what it is, but it's powerful. You say, it's this presence of the Holy Spirit within me. We need this. We all do. So may God help us to take something from the message, something from the Word of God, and apply it to our hearts this weekend. Let me pray with you as we go. Father, we thank you for your love and grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have given to us. That uh, you, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the day, the moment we call upon the Lord as Savior. We thank you that he is uh, God. And that he can empower us in the same way that he empowered and directed Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, when we go through times of trials and temptations to understand how the enemy works, but more importantly, how you can help us to be victorious in those times. Thank you, Father, that you love us. Thank you that when we confess you before men, you confess us before your Father in heaven. We're so thankful and grateful for that. So take something, Father, from what has been said from your word and bring it to our hearts through your spirit. May it change us and make us more like Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.